you for listening to this message from Life in the Sun Christian Fellowship. We hope you'll be inspired to honor God and make disciples. I would like you to know that our pastor is not here. He's currently in Singapore. So in behalf of him, I would like to welcome you. And uh, I'm not the pastor. My name is Armin. So getting that out of the way, we want to do another one before we get to the message. We would like to uh, welcome back Andy. I know, not to embarrass you, Andy Sison, you can just raise up your hand, or you can stand up if you want. This is Andy. We'd like to welcome him back, and also just to congratulate him, he, he just recently graduated from our Every Nation School in Manila, the School of World Mission, and we are excited to have him back because he will be working the campus. So we're going to get some help. We're looking forward to seeing what you're going to be doing over there, brother. So welcome home, correct? Welcome home. <laughs> anyway, well, two weeks ago, Pastor Eric uh, began this with a series called cross-training. Can you flip that up, please? The cross-training, the idea of cross-training, which is really popular right now, but as I was looking, as I was thinking about it, I think cross-training really came out when it was Bo Jackson was on the scene of sports. I don't know if you even know who he is. He was... Uh, he was very good with baseball, professional football, and I think he did play a little bit of outside basketball. But one of the scenes that I saw he did was when he was playing baseball was that a hitter hit the ball, and as the, you can see the trajectory of the ball, it's going to go outside the fence. Bo Jackson runs to the back towards the fence, and instead of jumping up, you know, over the fence, the man climbs on the wall, takes three steps, catches the ball, and goes back down to the field. It's like, Wow. So that was him, and I think that was really where cross-training started, because Nike came out with their shoes. I'm, I'm good with shoes. <laughs> Nike came out with their cross-training shoes. You get one shoes for three different sports. And that's the idea of cross-training. Can you put up the meaning? Cross-training is training in two or more sports to improve performance, especially on one's main sport. And we took this, and we paralleled this with Timothy. Put up Timothy. And we say that having nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths, rather train yourself for godliness. So we're training ourselves for godliness. So if cross-training is to engage yourself on three different types or two or three different types of discipline or exercise for one main sport, to train in godliness is the same. We are engaging on two or three different disciplines so that we can be trained for godliness. So that was really the objective of this series. And so far, we have looked at, the first week, we have looked at prayer. Last week, Brother Lawrence gave us the word. Well, today, I'll be giving you a spiritual discipline that some of you might, might be a little bit challenging than most. And it's in the training of giving. Now, let's start by Hebrews chapter 12, verse 11. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 11, this is what it says. For the moment... All discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. In its context, this is really talking about how a father disciplines his son. But you can take this and apply it in all points of discipline. That's why it says all discipline seems to be painful. And my experience of discipline was more than nine years ago. I hurt my back playing basketball. I had to go to surgery just to fix it. So for a while, my brother-in-law said, hey, why don't you go and learn tennis? 
I've had some experience with table tennis, so I said, how hard could it be? It's just a bigger ball and a bigger court, right? That's what I thought. I, my teenage years I spent in the Philippines, and the, and the sports in the Philippines is basketball. Nobody taught us how to play basketball. It's basically all guys coming together with one ball, and, you know, they all try to, to take a shot, how to dribble, and we grew up in the, in the Jordan era, so we all know how to do this one-handed layoff coming from the back or this reverse. That's all we did when we played basketball. Nobody taught us how to play basketball. We grabbed the ball, we start shooting. But tennis was a totally different sport. My brother-in-law was pretty good at it. In fact, I thought it was that easy. But when we started learning, it's like, boy, I was wrong. See, tennis is a sport of fundamentals. It is a sport of discipline. First of all, he taught, so this is how he taught me. This is for months. First thing he taught me, oh, how do you hold the racket? Then he taught me how to do your forehand. All forms, the back, double backhand. And then you got your bali, another bali on the other side. So all of this, and then he said, after that, you do footwork. So he said, no, no, no. And every time we're tr- he's teaching me, he's, oh, this is what I always hear. No, 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 no. No, 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 that's wrong, that's wrong, that's a bad habit, you can't do that, that's a basketball move, because it was totally a different sport. I was, uh, and, and I didn't realize when he said, I'll teach you, he literally means I'll teach you. We got ourselves those uh, uh, tennis ball uh, Peters, so he would feed me like 300 balls, so here I am whacking the ball, oh, okay, again, 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 oh, again, again, <laughs> so here I am, sore, but yet, towards the end, when I finally got it, I realized what he was really trying to do was to produce what you call a muscle memory. Or what you call, for those of you who are in the physical fitness, an involuntary reflex. And it's the same with all types of arts. It could be in dancing, singing. If you pick up an instrument and you begin to play, the discipline of training is to produce an involuntary reflex, or to produce what you call a muscle memory, that when the, right, when the real thing happens, you're not there thinking, because this is how it goes. He, the last thing I did was the service. I thought, oh, he did this last. This could be the easiest thing to do. And boy, was I wrong. So he goes, I'll demonstrate. So you'll remember. So he says, okay, this is how you serve. First of all, you hold the ball. Teacup. He said, teacup. Hold the ball like a teacup. Okay, now rock yourself. So I said, here I am. In the court, rocking myself, okay, now, and this is like eight different steps, and he keeps saying, it has to be one fluid motion. And I see him play tennis, and, you can, and somebody even said, is he really playing tennis, or he's just dancing? Because he looks like he's dancing. So he said, so, okay, rock yourself. The moment you toss the ball, bring the racket back, bend your knees, coil. At the moment the, the ball hits the highest point, now recoil all your force and back to the front. It's like, what? So here I am. If I could see myself, I'll be laughing at myself. So he's like, oh, what? How do you do it again? So then I go like this, so I go like this. So here he is and saying, no, no, you bend your knees twice. You only bend it once. But the whole point is, eventually, I had the wicked uh, top spin. <laughs> I was able, uh, on, when we started playing tennis, because he was a, he's a good size, and he always tells me, hit it as hard as you can. Okay, <laughs> that's not a problem for me. But the point is, it produced a muscle memory that when the real game came, I'm not here thinking of five steps. Oh, how am I supposed to hit that? Supposed to move back, move this, do this? No. 
when the real game came, the moment the ball comes, I'm automatically, I'm already here doing my poor handstands. And when it goes to the backhand, I'm doing my putworks, I'm already there. So it produced that muscle memory. So in the same way, when we engage in spiritual discipline, it is intentionally to produce a muscle memory that when it comes to prayer, we got when, when something is going on, we cannot we, we go, oh, what am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to do? You know exactly what to do. You engage in prayer. You engage in the word. Amen? So that's a practical side. Now let's go on to my topic. My topic today is about giving. And yes, the church has been... <laughs> this is, in fact, one of the, the least topics the church don't even want to talk about. I've heard a pastor before where they say, I want to stay away from the topic of tithes. Because it always had that. Uh, it, it always seems like we want to get people to give. But I want to show you today that this is actually a discipline of rewards. In fact, the New Testament, as if you've probably been coming along the church, you, every time we talk about the tithes and offering, you've always been hearing that Jesus talks so much about money in the New Testament. And every time he talks about money and about giving, there is always a reward associated with it. Okay? So let's begin. First of all, let's pray. Father, thank you for today. Thank you, O oh Lord, on what you can show us to this, to this discipline. And Lord, I pray, O oh God, that may we see your heart in, in regards to giving. May, you see your, may we see your heart. May we see your heart in in the area where it is not a duty, but it is a delight to give. It is a delight like you, it was a delight for you to give to us, your only son. So Lord, I pray that this would be what people would see today in Jesus' name. Amen. So in prayer, how do you begin a spiritual discipline of prayer? You simply, people have taken the, the Lord's Prayer to start. And then you add on your own personal prayer. In reading the word, how do you start? You basically open the Bible. We always tell people start in the book of John. And then jump in some other places. Some people have a habit of doing Proverbs every single day. Because it's 31, it's 31 chapters, one chapter a day. But how do you begin a spiritual discipline of giving? That's a good question, isn't it? Well, I believe you can do it by Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9. It says here, Honor the Lord with your possession and with the first fruits of all your increase. Earlier, Ben just told you that we at Life in the Sun, we're all about honoring the Lord. So here it's a good start. Honor the Lord with your possession and with the first fruits of all your increase. Well, let's take a look at the life of Abraham or Abram and we'll see what we can learn from him. Abram, uh, Genesis chapter... 14, 18 to 19. The story here is, Abram just got back from defeating the allied kings that took Lot from Sodom and Gomorrah. And when Abram heard that his nephew was taken along when they, took, when they, when they attacked Sodom and Gomorrah, Abram took 318 of his men and he pursued them. And then when he got back, after defeating them, 
he came back along with Lot, all the possessions that these allied kings got. So basically, all the possessions of Sodom and Gomorrah is now with Abram. Because he defeated the king that basically robbed the whole city. So he now has everything that this king had. Ever thought of that? Well, that's what it is. So here, Abram comes back and he says, Then Melchizedek, king, that's a king, not a kin, king of Salem, brought out bread and new wine. He was the priest of God Most High, and he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abraham of God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth. Uh, Where's the part where he says... Okay, let me look. And after that, what he really says is, and Abraham gave a tithe of all that he had. Let me get to my Bible. Sorry, that was on 20. 20 goes, and blessed be God most high, he was delivered, who has delivered your enemies into your hand, and he gave him a tithe of all. So a tithe, what is a tithe? Most of you would already know what a tithe is. It is a tenth. So, going, so based on Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9, it says to honor the Lord with all your possession. So who is Abraham honoring here? Well, he's honoring, to honor somebody is to regard them in high esteem. Abraham recognized that Melchizedek is somebody who is higher in stature than he is. Just Melchizedek, by definition, is really king of righteousness. And then it says he is also the king of Salem. Salem, which is where we get the word shalom. So Melchizedek here is a king of righteousness and the king of peace. And he is also, it says that he is the priest of God Most High. He is the priest of El Elyon, another name of God. So what Abraham is doing is he is recognizing that Melchizedek is worth to be honored. And what did he give in honor? He gave a tithe. But why a tenth? Why a tithe? I know some of you might already know this, or some of you are still thinking. When I started tithing, I really didn't know why, we're st- where, why we gave a 10%. Why not a 20%? But from pe- chapter 14, you can go back. There's really no indication where Abraham learned this practice. You go back, it's only two chapters before this. When, he left out of, when, when Abraham was called from Mesopotamia, there was no indication where he was already practicing this. Then all of a sudden, in chapter 14, he started give, he gave a tithe. So where did he learn this? Well, there's another story of Abraham where he did the same thing, almost in a similar manner, and he kind of had an explanation on what it is. It's in Genesis chapter, the next chapter, the next verse. So here, this is another story. Okay, bear with me. I, uh, I like stories. Uh, you read the Bible, you read stories. So when Abraham... Okay, now his name here is Abraham. When his wife died, Sarah, and his son Isaac is now all grown up, but yet Isaac still don't have a wife, he called one of his servants and he told his servant, promise me that you will not get a wife from this land, the land of Canaan, but you would go back to my own family and you would get a wife from my own family. So the servant promised him, And so off goes the servant. So this is where it picks up. Then the servant took ten of his master's camel and departed. For all his master's goods were in his hand, and he arose and went to Mesopotamia, to the city 
of Nahor. Did you see that? It says, for all his master, master's goods were in his hand. Now, I don't know if you know who Abraham is. If you've read your Bible, you would know that Abraham was a very rich man. If you backtrack on his life, he began in Mesopotamia. When God called him to go to Canaan, the first place he stopped by is, is Haran. When he exited Haran, it says, the Bible says that he got sheep, he's got oxen, male donkeys, male and female servants. And then from there, he went down to where he was. Then he went to Egypt because of the famine. When he exited Egypt again, he came out with donkeys, with camels, male servants. And then the Bible even talks about directly that Abraham was very rich in gold and silver. Another incident with Abimelech and the one that we just mentioned earlier. It says that he had the whole possession of Sodom and Gomorrah after defeating this king. But yet it says here, the servant only take ten. He only took only take. He only took ten of his master's camel, but yet it says that for all his master's goods were in his hand. Can ten camels really fit all that Abraham had? No. See, Abraham was moving in the language of God. Because in the eyes of God, it only needs ten because it represents the whole. Did you get that, church? That's why God only gave ten commandments. The Ten Commandments represent the whole law of God. There was only ten plagues in Egypt. The ten plagues represented the whole judgment that God put on Egypt. So God only looks at the ten because the ten represents the whole. That's why Abraham only needed to present his family ten loads of his possessions because that represents his whole possession. Amen? See, now going back to Abraham. So what Abraham did, first of all, he honored the picture of Christ, the picture of the Lord through Melchizedek, and then he gave a tent. He gave what? A tent. But in reality, or in the eyes of God, what Abraham was really giving was what? He was giving his whole possession. Amen? See, back in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 11, please. It says, for the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, it says, but later, those who have been trained by it. In this this, uh, verse, it says, uh, but later, it yields a uh, peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So who benefits from the discipline? Who benefits from the discipline? Is it the Lord? We do. We benefit from the discipline. God is not secure up in heaven when I fail to pray. God doesn't go, oh, Jesus, look at Armin. He's not praying again. God is not insecure. Oh, look at Armin. He didn't, he didn't read his Bible again. God is not up there looking at us, and every time we fail to, to engage in spiritual discipline, he goes to Jesus and the Holy Spirit. Look at that. He didn't pray today. Look at that. He didn't read his Bible. No, God is not insecure. The whole point of the spiritual discipline based on this is to benefit us. Do you get that, church? It's meant to benefit you, me, and the ones who are engaged in the spiritual discipline. So if you had that in your thought, I I think this is a word from God because it keeps coming back. Erase that in your mind. Remove that from your mind that God is disappointed every time you cannot read your Bible, every time you don't pray. 
No, God is not insecure, church. He's, it says that he's ever interceding for us. When you fail to read your Bible, when you fail to, to pray, I believe what he's doing is he's interceding. Come on, Armin, you can pray today. Wake up, 4.30 already. Wake up, time to pray. I believe that's what he's doing. He's not there disappointed and saying, Oh, Armin, you didn't pray again. That is not, there's no insecurity in God. The fact that it says that the training or the discipline is meant to benefit us tells us that the more we do it, the more it's beneficial to us. Then going back to Abraham. So Abraham gave a tent. Only a tent. But in the eyes of God, that tent was a representation of his whole possession. See, it benefits us as the one presenting the tent. We don't have to carry our houses, our cars, and present it. We only need to present a 10%. And in the eyes of God, your tent is as good as your whole. Amen? Isn't that easier? So now, here's the question. What if I've been doing that already? So what do I do next? Oh, one more story, David. Here's another one. Let's go even deeper. David. Most of you know David as David and Goliath, right? David the shepherd. When David was anointed as king of the, or to be the next king of Israel, the only thing he really had in his hand was probably his slingshot. Would you agree? Of course, his clothes on. And his slingshot, or probably, if uh, he didn't have an iPhone, by the way, as Pastor Eric showed you. David did not have an iPhone when he was out there. But he could also have a string instrument. But when David was anointed to be king, he had exactly nothing on him. But towards the end of his life, in First Chronicles chapter 29, we're going to look at how much possession David had. Can you put that, please? Now remember, David was called by God for, the, for his purpose even before he was born. And then when finally he was, when he was anointed king, it took a little more years before he finally became king. But when, it, when he did become king of the nation, David was a warrior king. He would always attack the enemy. And part of that benefit of attacking the enemy is gathering everything that your enemy have. So David accumulated a lot of stuff based on that lifestyle of being a king warrior. So every time, and of course, you got to remember, the hand of God is, is on that event. Every time David goes out, he makes sure that he goes before God and asks, Lord, should we attack? Should I go? Will you give them to me? And every time he hears, says, yes, go, he would go. So towards the end of this life, towards the end of his reign, and he's about ready to give the, the kingship to Solomon, this is now, what, uh, David's burning passion, why he called him the, the man after God's own heart, was really to build a temple for the, the ark of God. So this is where he stands now. Now, for the house of my God, I have prepared with all my might. So he's ready for the house to be built. But of course, God said, not you, but your son Solomon. Uh, so here he is. He says, mm, now for the house of my God, I have prepared with all my might gold for the things to be made of gold. Silver for the things of silver, bronze for the things of bronze, iron for the things of iron, wood for the things of wood, onyx, stones, and marble slab in abundance. Moreover, like that word, moreover, because I have set my affection on the house of my God, I have given to the house of my God over and above all that I have prepared for the holy house, my own special treasures of gold and silver. So his own treasuries. 
David is presenting. And how much are they? Here it is. 3,000 talents of gold, of the gold of Ophir, and 7,000 talents of refined silver to overlay the walls of the house. Now, in today's market value, you know how much that is? 3,000 talents is a, the talent is a measurement of weight. It is equivalent to 75 pounds. Okay? So, 3,000 talents is equivalent to 225,000 pounds, roughly 112 tons. 112 tons of gold. Do you, can you imagine what a ton is? A ton is 2,000 pounds. Your car weighs about a ton. Your basic sedan. So put a hundred cars together. That's how much weight of gold that David was presenting for the house of God. That in today's value, a gold as of yesterday, causes about $1,100 per ounce. Matt, so how many ounces are there in 112.5 tons? There is roughly 3.6 million ounces. Multiply that to 1,100. David, if you were to compute it in our money, gave 3,963,000,000 worth of gold. Now the silver, which is a little cheaper, he said it gave, he gave 7,000. Uh, the price of silver is $15 per ounce. 7,000 talents is equal to 525,000 pounds. That's 8.4 million ounces multiplied by 15. It's 126 million in our dollars today. So altogether, in his own personal treasury, David gave 4.086 billion in our dollar. 4.086 billion. Billion is a big number. I have never even seen uh, 100,000 yet. Can you imagine? That's how much David gave in our money's worth today. For, uh, roughly $4 billion. That's not including, that's only the gold and the silver. That's not including the bronze, the iron, the wood, the precious stones, the onyx, and the marble slab. How much is your counter for your kitchen worth today? About 16 grand? Correct? So, and you're not even presenting your kitchen, right? Oh, Lord, here's my kitchen. Here's my marble slab. No, but David, out of his gold and silver, gave in our money today four billion worth, not including the other materials. And of course, like I told you, he was a warrior king. David could have easily said, Lord, I got this from my blood, sweat, and tears, literally blood, sweat, and tears. He bled for some of those battles. But yeah, when he prayed, this is what he has to say. Next verse, please. So when David prayed, as, the, as, as all this offering is being made, this is what he said. Therefore, David blessed the Lord before all the assembly. Uh, go to, blessed are you, Lord God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness, the power, and the glory, the victory, and the majesty for all that's in heaven and on earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head over all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you reign over all. And here it is. It says, in your hand is power and might. In your hand is to make great and to give strength to all. Now, therefore, our God, we thank you and praise your glorious name. 
And then he says, but who am I and who are my people that we should be able to offer so willingly at this? You see the heart of David here? David was, was so emotional that he considered it a privilege to give this much. It's like David saying, who am I, Lord? Who is this people that you have chosen that we are able to offer this so willingly? Why? For all things come from you and of your own we have given you. Jump to 16. O Lord our God, all this abundance we have prepared to you or prepared to build you a house for your holy name is from your hand and is all your own. See that heart? David acknowledges and recognizes that everything, that four billion dollars worth of gold and silver is really from God that was given to him and he's basically just giving it back to him. And that's why in the heart of David he's saying, oh Lord, what, it is, what a privilege it is that we can offer this so willingly. You see, the delight, it was not a duty for David to return back what at the very beginning was God's own anyway. For him, it was a delight to be able to count it a privilege that, Lord, I can present an offering to you and I can do it so willingly. Did you see his heart there? David recognizes how the system of God works, that there is nothing, church, in our possession at the present time and whatever we will possess in the future does that, that will not come from the Lord. Everything, your position in your workplace, your great name, if you have a great family name, that also came from the Lord. The promotions that you get, the cars, the wives that you get, the husbands that you get, that all comes from the Lord. And I, I intend to say that. Okay, all comes from the Lord. And that's why David finds it so much as a delight that, Lord, I can give it all back to you. Four billion dollars, that all came from you, and there's more. Amen? So if you go back to Abraham, now you see the whole picture of the tithe. First, God only asked 10% as a representation of the whole, but yet, you step back, but the whole is really from God's anyway, and all he wants you to do is take the tent and present it to him. And church, that is the tithe. It was intended to benefit who? Us. So that's how we start, which I'm almost out of time. That's how we start or how we begin. If we have not yet began a spiritual discipline of giving, we start by, we start by Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9. Now, if you're already doing that, here's the next step. Go back to 3, verse 9. Okay, it says, Honor the Lord, what? Honor the Lord with your possessions, with all your possessions, and with the first fruit of all your increase. It's really a two-part, a two-instruction, or really a two-object. First, with all your possession, and the next object is the increase. Do you, do, you, do you see that, church? So it says, Honor the Lord with your possessions, and we have talked about that. We honor Him with our possession. And then it says, end with the first fruit of all your increase. This came to me by revelations many years ago. I didn't really know. I never heard about the teaching on this, but it just came to me as a revelation. So if those of you who are already tithing and you're seeing the promises of God coming your way, here's the next step. If Who among you have received increase from your job? Who among you have received? So, uh, there you go. I see hands. I've been working, what, since 1998? Almost 20 years. And I have seen the hand of God and the favor of God in my life. But there was a time when I was, uh, I was getting, un, you know, 
increase. I was uh, a trainee, and I was getting some increase. And then I came across this verse, and it says, uh, and I told, uh, I told my wife, it's like, look at this. It says, honor him with the first fruit of all your increase. Uh, first of all, it sounded like there's a, there's a confidence assurance that you will get an increase. Isn't it not? The verse itself, almost, you almost want to take it and say, oh, there's a confidence assurance based on this uh, verse alone that you will get an increase. If you're a child of God, you will get an increase. That's almost what this uh, verse was saying. And it's true. So I started getting increased from, uh, from my work. And I told my wife, look at this verse. I think we have to do something with the increase. So when you get an increase from work, uh, this, this is just me. Okay? I'm, sure I'm going to end with this. So what we did was, so just to give you a, a, an easy value, if you used to earn $1,000 a month, okay, then all of a sudden your employer gave you an increase of 100%. Now you're earning $2,000. Yay! Right? Nobody, I guess you're earning much more. <laughs> Amen. If you're earning much more, I fra- praise the Lord for that. Okay, so now you're getting $2,000 a month. So what's the first thing that would increase? Of course, your tithe. Because now you're making more. But what this says is your increase is that $1,000 on top of your 1000 that you used to make. So when it says, honor the Lord with, your, with the first fruit of your increase, what it's saying is take that $1,000 as the first fruit of your increase and honor him with it. That's the proper way to do it. But what we've done is, in the past, I'm laughing now because it, uh, it's funny, was that my understanding was that take the first paycheck of your increase and honor the Lord with it. And I guarantee you, I've been working for almost 20 years. Every year, I've gotten an increase. And when the time seems like I've maximized or I've reached the ceiling, God moved me to another place to work. And still, yearly, We've gotten an increase because we honored this by doing. We honored God by doing this. We took our the first of our increase, and we honored God with it. And and I hope you would allow God to reveal this to you. Okay, don't. Uh, uh, yes, take my word if you want. <laughs> I seem reliable, right? <laughs> but more so, take it from the Lord. And I would guarantee you, not based on my word, but based on His word, because a uh, verse. Not, Verse 9 of Proverbs chapter 10. Can you put that up? Tells you of this promise. Proverbs chapter 3 verse 10. It says, there's the word so. Very important word, so. If you do the instructions on verse 9, this will happen. So that. So your barns will be filled with plenty and your bats will overflow with new wine. Of course, this is a palm terminology, new wines and barns. But basically, God said, I will make sure things would come in. Simply put, you would not have to worry. And Pastor Eric even talked about in his first week how we, there's obstacles when it comes to discipline. For him swimming that channel, uh, uh, the island, Manyagaha to, uh, to Saipan, he said he was afraid of the shark, the death, and what if he gets cramped. Well, in the same manner, the spiritual discipline of giving has its own distraction, its own, what was the word he used? Oh, I'm lost. Obstacles, fear. And one of them is really, will I really have enough if I give this? Will I really have 
I'm saving up for a vacation. I'm saving up for my child's education. I'm saving up for a new car, a new toy, right? New Xbox, new uh, PS, whatever PS we are now. And sometimes that becomes an obstacle. But I guarantee you, I've seen it over. I've seen it in my own personal life and my wife's. Uh, I mean, I have so much to share regarding testimony. You're wondering why we've never shared it. Because God said, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing when it comes to giving. So when it comes to giving, you don't really want to share what you're doing when it comes to giving. But yet that same promise tells you that what you do in secret regarding charitable deeds, you do it in secret, you don't let everybody know. New King James Version says that he would reward you openly. Meaning everybody else will see the reward on your life when you do in secret when it comes to charitable giving. Amen? So did that bless you? Did that encourage you that this spiritual discipline of giving is intended for your own benefit? Well, it is. There, uh, because I'm out of time, you can read Matthew chapter 6. You can read, uh, what chapter is that in Luke? <laughs> you can read Luke. My notes. Luke chapter 6, you got Philippians. All of these are promises of God. And like what I said, don't take my word for it. Take the Bible. Amen. Let's stand up. Father, thank you for today. Hallelujah. Father, I thank you, O Lord, that Like David, he counted it as a privilege, as a delight to even to offer so willingly what at the very beginning was yours to begin with. That, Father, I pray that this reality that there is nothing in our hands that that we have produced on our own, but everything, Father, that we possess and that we would ever possess will come from you. So Lord, I pray that as a church, as a people, that you would teach us or you would reveal to us this reality. And in so doing, Lord, I pray, oh Lord, that we would come to that place where we, like David, would find it such a delight when there is an opportunity to give, that there is an opportunity to help others. Father, I thank you that this act is even rooted on you as a father who gave his only son to us. And Lord, I thank you for today. I thank you for for those who has received that message. And I pray, Father, that you would seal, seal that message in their heart. That they would find it a great delight to find an opportunity to give back and to honor you with everything that we have. This I ask in Jesus' name. Amen.